Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, I've been eating a lot of takeout this winter, and every time I order, I have to check Google and Yelp and maybe Instagram just to be sure the restaurant is still open and that they have the food I want to eat. It's a lot to keep up with, not only for me, the hungry person, but also for everyone working in the local restaurant industry. Today, I'm talking to CityCast senior producer Megan Harris and Halby Klein. He's an associate editor and food critic for Pittsburgh Magazine, and he's here to explain what's going on in Pittsburgh's restaurant scene right now and help us say goodbye to a couple of our favorites in the East End. It's Tuesday, January 11th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Megan, I think we can all agree there are quite a few very distinctly Pittsburgh restaurants, but your article on the best new restaurants of 2021 let us stubborn Pittsburghers know, and sometimes that's me, that it's okay to try new things. Hal, what are some of the places and dishes you've loved from the past year? I think the thing that's been so exciting about Pittsburgh over the last couple years, actually, is it really has redefined what makes Pittsburgh food and what Pittsburgh food really means to be. Um, so you can look at that even from more established places such as Apteca, which is, you know, the one of the most rooted places in Pittsburgh foodways, but also is a vegan restaurant, which I think is something that consistently just surprises people, you know, and they say, what's the most Pittsburgh restaurant? And it's like this vegan place. Um, and then that keeps going on and on this year. So you look at a neighborhood such as Squirrel Hill, which is so exciting in what's happening with international cuisine there. So you have a restaurant called You Bai Wei, um, which is a Sichuan restaurant, which when you look at the explosion of regional Chinese restaurants over the past five or six years is really incredible. And it's really catering to both student populations, international populations and Pittsburghers that are like excited to try something that maybe they hadn't tried before that they suddenly love. And then down the block from there is African Cuisine, which is a Nigerian restaurant, which is the first of its kind in Pittsburgh. And so you look at this, you know, this, this breadth of international dining in this neighborhood, which is so really exciting. And it's, it's again, it's people saying, you know, it's, it's someone who owns a place saying like, hey, like, I'm not going to pull any punches. Like, I'm going to serve the cuisine that I grew up with and I invite you to enjoy it with me, which I think is so exciting and so special and something that, you know, happened for a long time in places like New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, but didn't really happen in Pittsburgh until recently. And it's it's becoming more and more of what's happening there. So you've got these new food trucks like Stunt Pig, which is making this, you know, smoked meats, barbecue, everything is handmade, everything is scratch made. It's so delicious. And so I think things like that that are happening, you know, it's just, it's, it's really exciting to see that, you know, and, and especially all of these things opening in a year where everything was really, really weird for restaurants. And very up and down. And I think it took a lot of courage to do that in this last year, right? Yeah, I haven't gotten the opportunity to go to too many of these places. I have had the African cuisine place on my list because I have had a friend that has gone and raved about it. So um, that's definitely on my list. And you, by way, now that you've said that. Megan, have you tried any of these places? Yeah, the one on your list, Hal, that uh, really made my heart sing was Stump Pig. I always get whatever's on special. It's like if you like intense flavors, it speaks to your soul. It's crunchy and it's soothing. It's just amazing. And are they are they just a food truck or do they have like a brick and mortar store now? They're just a food truck. They're mobile. They're around everywhere. I think they're enjoying being able to go to a bunch of different places. 
I know Taqueria El Pastorcito is planning on opening a standalone restaurant sometime next year, uh, but Stud Pig, I'm not sure if they have that. But it's also, you know, it's, it's great to be able to have that. And it's also, Stud Pig at least is also doing stuff that's occasionally they're doing things late at night, which is really nice because we are mm. in a city right now where it is really hard to get something to eat past even 10 p.m. You know, there are, I can count on my hands the number of places you can do that. I've also seen them in like city parks at 11 a.m. Uh, you know, no other food trucks around. They're just catering to the crowd that has decided they want to be outside for a few minutes away from the rest of humanity. And I love that that's a thing that they're prepping to do. How can you find them? How can you track Stunt Pig down? Instagram. I mean, I think, you know, when you look right now at communication and restaurants overall, especially you really saw this over the last couple of weeks with the Omicron um, surge that restaurants are really using social media to communicate their hours and if things are changing. Um, and this is, you know, it's long kind of been the case for food trucks. I think it started on Twitter, but it's really become something that happens more on Instagram. And even now with a lot of restaurants that are short staffed and maybe have to close for a night, that's really the best way to, to find out what's happening. And social media can be great because you get to preview the menus they have, the specials, see what the food looks like, all those things. I was going to say, if I've learned anything from the uh, pandemic, it's that you cannot trust Google to tell you what hours, what days, anything is open. Things have changed so rapidly. It's hard, right? If we're going to plan to go to dinner, we want to have some kind of certainty about the meal. But it's just so important to be flexible right now and be willing to walk across the street if it turns out, you know, your destination isn't open tonight or was short staffed or needed to make changes. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of days before the new year, I wanted to get takeout from one of my favorite noodle places in Pittsburgh. And as I was putting in my order, I got a message on their website saying that they were closed for a few days, I guess, to try to control the spread of COVID. Um, but, you know, that wasn't the only restaurant in the area to close the stores temporarily. How, what issues have you seen the restaurant industry face during the pandemic? I mean, it's such a, it's, it's always something new, it seems. And so at first it was, how do we stay in business? Well, at first it was just like, what the hell is going on? And then it was, oh, this is going to last more than two weeks, or this is going to last more than a month. And this is, how are we going to sustain this? And then how do we pivot to takeout? Can we set up outdoor dining? How do we bring people in safely? Oh, everything's fine. We've got vaccines. The daily changes of the pandemic. Yeah. So one positive thing that happened, I think, is a real empowerment of labor um, and people recognizing, you know, I don't have to take it. There was this culture, especially in kitchens, back of house of, you know, I'm going to work my ass off for $12 an hour because I need it for, you know, and, and I'm paying my dues. And line cooks were among, I think, the top three or five most affected by the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, and, I, and a lot of people left and said, you know, I can do other things. Why am I doing this? And so you're starting to see restaurants, rightly so, paying people a fairer wage. I don't think their wages are fair yet, but they're fairer. But at the same time, you're also seeing food costs go up. And so now it's a real just like mix of like trying to like fit all these like pieces together, like how to stay in business, how to pay people. And then from the other end, it's from labor. It's saying, you know, like, do I want to stay with this restaurant? Do I want to stay in this industry? Do I want to move on? And if I'm going to stay in this industry, what sort of like, are you going to recognize the dignity of my work? Yeah. How you've been so immersed in this community for so long, from your perspective, how much of these issues, concerns, uh, trends were a thing before the pandemic? And this has just only made it worse. 
All of them to a certain extent. I think the the food cost issue is something that has become a little bit more prevalent over the pandemic. I think the labor issue, because chef culture was so cool, even though that's kind of problematic when you think about it, I think the back of house, there was this just this expectation for a really long time that you would just grin and bear it and put up with it and put up with this behavior. And so I think that's something that really has come to the forefront. It's something that's been around for a really long time. Equity in labor costs, uh, the problematic nature of tipping, all of those things have been around for a really long time. And I think we're just talking about them more now. Yeah, and we and we've seen some of these places um, close their doors because of short staffing. We're losing. We talked about Squirrel Hill being amazing for international food, but they were also amazing for a couple breakfast spots, you know. And we're losing two OG places. We're losing Pamela's. Well, we've we've lost Pamela's, and and Eaton Park is closing as of the twenty fourth of January. Megan and I are mourning the loss, but um, what about you? Are you sad to see them go? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's those places are so special and they have such sense memory. Damon Young posted something, and I think like that memory is so important. And when you lose places that have been around for a long time, it's really sad. Yeah, writer Damon Young is a big friend of the show. And when he and I heard the news about Eaton Park closing, to use his words, we were verklempt, uh, completely inconsolable over this Pittsburgh staple closing. So he sent us this obituary. Everyone around the Pittsburgh area knows Eaton Park, knows the jingle, you know, Eaton Park. Eaton Park is the place for smiles. And it was literally the place for smiles because that's, you know, they also gave you the smiley face cookies, which, you know, weren't the best cookies in the world, but they will do. But after midnight on Friday and Saturday nights, the Eaton Park on Murray Ave and Squirrel Hill was also the place for pancakes, milkshakes, bottomless sausage gravy, hookups, breakups, back corner booth hand jobs, stunting, subs, fellowship, friendships forged 23 minutes earlier in strip district parking lots, seal breaking, almost but not quite yet sober decision making, that one light-skinned black cop who was never, ever, ever strapped and looked exactly like Michael Beach, A-cash interventions, wardrobe malfunctions, bear goggles, sneaky larceny, bougie niggas who ordered salads and shit off the menu, reunions, wedding receptions, random niggas from Aliquippa at New Brighton for some reason, old French toast sticks, and new chosen families. It was Pittsburgh as fuck, which means it was bad but still loved, like a good dog with stank farts. It will be missed. Hal, um, as you're looking forward, uh, it's been such a hard couple of years, and you, you know, you've had this wonderful piece about openings in 2021. Do you expect to see the same number of openings in 2022? Um, what's the trend looking like for you? You know, I think there probably will be. I think there are people that are quietly working on restaurants that are doing things. I think spaces open up. People have ideas. I think the one thing that we're definitely going to see is a continuation of more casual food, more comfort food, more easy food. Um, easy, well, easy is a loaded term, but I think we're going to see less chefy food in the next year or so. 
Um, one other question. Uh, you know, you brought up a lot of concerns and issues that are exacerbated by that, you know, COVID and the pandemic. I'm curious if there's any progress you want to point out or solutions in the works that you're hopeful about. I mean, I think there is really a lot better communication overall from what I'm hearing between people that work in restaurants and people that own restaurants. And I think there is in the dining public to a large degree, even though there are people that are not behaving in a way that's friendly, I think there's a larger recognition that these are shared spaces and that the people that work in restaurants deserve that respect. And so I think that, you know, I I hope that that's something that will continue on. Yeah, there's plenty of places in Pittsburgh that I've gone to for years that I still recognize the staff working there. So it makes me that makes me happy. I mean, I you know, I'm a Pittsburgher. I don't like much change. You know, as much as there are people that are like, oh, I want the newest thing and I want to try this and I want to try that. I think what also is really important is to say, like, I love going here because I come in and I know that these people are going to be there. And I know that, like, I don't even have to order my first cocktail because they know when I come in, you know, this is the drink I'm, I'm here for or whatever. And so I think there's something really there's something really nice about that as well. Well, how be Klein, your first CityCast Pittsburgh contributor, our first interview. Thank you so much for joining us today. Your work brings us to places that not only like literally feed us, but feed our souls. I love food. So thank you so much. Thank you. What a thrill. Megan, let's walk through some other Pittsburgh news. I guess Ben Roethlisberger's retirement is on hold for the time being, since the Steelers have now made it to the playoffs. Yeah, it's never easy with the Steelers, is it? I I really wanted to go to bed Sunday night. Um, Yeah, the Steelers beat the Ravens in overtime, 16-13, to again, thanks to an extremely long kick from everyone's favorite leg, Chris Boswell. But that, magically, is not what got them into the playoffs. The Steelers fans had to wait for the results of the Raiders-Chargers game. That game also went into overtime. It was well after midnight. If those two teams had tied, they would have both been going to the playoffs and the Steelers would have been out. But if either went for the win and made it, we would just squeak by. Thankfully, the Raiders snagged one more field goal right at the end, and so all of us Steeler fans got to go to bed warm and satiated at least until next Sunday when the Kansas City Chiefs are almost definitely going to cream us. You know, I have more faith than that. I'd like to say uh, that that maybe this this matchup this time around with the Kansas City Chiefs will swing in our favor the same way that all of these other chips have fallen in our favor <laughs> in this last game of the season for the Steelers. Did you see the last time they played right after Christmas? Yeah, and I mean, we we certainly got our asses handed to us, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, 36 to 10, and it wasn't even close. That score gives the impression that we put up a fight. I think, and if I'm not mistaken, though, there were a lot of people out with injuries during that game. You know, we've gotten a lot of our players back. TJ Watt is, is on just a run right now with sacks. So yeah, you're right. I mean, COVID protocol was definitely part of that game, but I think Kansas City, last I looked, is also feeling pretty healthy now. So a healthy Kansas City versus a healthy uh, Pittsburgh team. Eh, I don't know. I'm going to guess that Vegas is probably going to have the same odds I would, at least in my head. Yeah. Hopefully somebody out there, um, put some money on the Steelers and makes uh, a lot. (laughs) If you're out there, please take us to lunch. Uh, The Steelers play the Kansas City Chiefs in that wild card game Sunday. 
And on the political front, Ed Ganey, Pittsburgh's new mayor, raised some eyebrows this weekend, mine included, uh, with a letter that he wrote to the GOP saying that Pittsburgh would be, quote, excited to host the 2024 GOP presidential convention. Yeah, when I read this, I mean, it can get interesting, I guess, um, but it's not out of nowhere. Uh, Pittsburgh was already a finalist to host the convention. That convention would, of course, feature the GOP's presidential pick, which might be uh, President Donald Trump again. Some in Pittsburgh City Council are open to the idea. They think it could be a potential business boon, but others less so. Uh, Pittsburgh City Councilor Erica Strasberger tweeted one of my favorite comments, quote, I realize I don't get a vote here, but just for the record, I vote nope. So we'll have to see what happens. Agree there, Erica. And we're not leaving you with the cold and heavy stuff. Let's talk about how you can escape your Pittsburgh winter blues. Yeah, we could all use a little dose of that. So, Morgan, tell us, what's uh, what's the good news today? All right. The National Aviary is turning 70 this year. She still looks good. (laughs) If you like birds, you can see all kinds in the world-class facility over on the north side. Their new exhibit is called Tropical Paradise, and it even features a few armadillos if you're not that into birds. Something for everyone. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed our very first show, tell a friend, rate us, leave us a review, and definitely subscribe to our morning newsletter. You can find all that and more at pittsburgh.citycast.fm. We'll be back Thursday morning with more news from around the city. All right, we'll talk to you then. I'm Googling almost like 70% of the places because I have no idea where they're at. I don't know why I'm so out of the loop.